The following segment is part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolokale Arts Reach in Chicago. have the politics of this, the left psychotic so-called solution now to all the violence and all the anarchy and all the lawlessness and all the looting and all the arson uh, and violence is, uh, let's get rid of the police uh, altogether because that is apparently now their new battle cry. They want to abolish police officers. Outrage over police killings and harassment and the mass incarceration of black and brown people and immigrants has also generated calls to go beyond reform, to defund and abolish the police. This is the focus of our next guest, Mariam Kaba's new book. The reason why the book has been resonating is because of the uprisings and the struggle in the streets. Um, the fact that so many people around the country recognize the complete and utter failures and limits of so-called reform to actually do what people want, which is to have some little modicum of justice. Um, so I think people are impatient with incrementalism and are impatient with solutions that don't actually address the root causes of violence. And part of that is the fact that, um, you know, policing is inherently violent and that the starting point has to be to actually reduce people's contact with the police altogether. Throughout our lives, we are taught certain narratives that we grow up believing we should not question. When it comes to defunding the Chicago Police Department and the collective narrative around it, that has rapidly changed over the past year. Collective narratives are beliefs and perspectives shared or rejected by a community. We want to learn two things. What influences narratives and what power do these narratives hold? For this, we've analyzed the collective narrative the neighborhood of Little Village holds on policing, as well as the work the Defund CPD campaign has done to change it. My name is Cynthia Salgado. And I'm August Habitain. We will discuss some of the matters that have reached our attention and are affecting the residents of Little Village. These discussions are in regards of collective power via collective narrative. We already live in a, a world where we have police, where we have structures to incarcerate and jail and punish people. And what have those systems solved? That was Tainetta Mohammed speaking. We'll get to her interview in a bit. But first, let's get into this. Though collective narratives are shared among many, not everyone in a community will adhere to a single narrative. It is often the case that there are wildly conflicting opinions on topics from people in the same neighborhood or even the same household. I took to the streets of our neighborhood of Little Village to hear the different perspectives the people have on police and what shaped those attitudes. Uh, where do you get your news from? Mostly, I'd like to say podcasts. De la televisión. Uh, mostly Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, social media. Where do you get your news about crime and policing? Viendo las noticias. I'm not sure. I want to say, like, Chicago Tribune, kind of like those big uh, news uh, outlets. Have you heard of the defund CPD movement, and if so, from where? 
I haven't heard much about the movement, although I am familiar with it. Muy poco he oído. Which of these four have shaped your views the most on police? Family, community, religion, or generation? Familia. I want to say community because, uh, like, my environment's pretty shitty, you know, living here in Little Village. You know, we always hear about, you know, gun violence or, like, you know, CPD doing or carrying out their job wrong. I would definitely say community just because I know that the perspectives of each community differ based on their participation within the police department and how much protection they are receiving within their local and communal areas. Being able to see the generational divide around the concept of defunding CPD is important. That's why I interviewed my family members, to get an insight on different perspectives and experiences and where those narratives come from. For some of us, the thought of defunding CPD is not new and does not seem radical, but for others, it is the opposite. Here's what they have to say. Where do you get your news from? My news I normally get from either social media or maybe like an app, because I feel like I don't watch normal TV, like the local channels anymore, because I'm usually just watching like streaming services. So you basically just watch what, what you choose on demand. So any kind of news or I usually get from online or like social media, basically. Usually my phone. It's an app. Where do you get your news about crime and policing? Mm, local news via my phone. I would say the same. I think primarily like Facebook, I'll follow maybe like ABC's Facebook page. And, you know, when they publish a story, it'll come up on my feed. But I think that's the, I guess, the primary way I, I see that kind of news. Have you heard of the defund CPD movement? No. I've heard of like the term, like basically like defund the police. I haven't heard of, like, defund CPD in particular. Have you heard of the defund CPD movement? Yes. Or how and where did you hear about the movement? How via phone, where, social media. What would you say makes you feel safe in your community? Personally, I, uh, I feel my neighbors, like, make me feel safe. For example, on both sides of our property, I have two neighbors that like we trust we know they're like family oriented either <clears throat> my neighbor to one side he's like a father of three and you know we talk and I know they're like good people I can trust and then the other neighbor to the other side I've known her since I was a kid and you know we have a hundred percent trust in her so I feel like that plays a huge part in us feeling safe and in, in our community what makes you feel safe in your community nothing which of these four have shaped your views most on the police? Family, community, religion, or generation? Maybe generation. Community, not really. I would say generation, just generation due to my mother. Uh, community, I feel, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, there's no reason, it, so, you know, the cops should even look at you. 
generation I, I guess the views of my mother have some what like I follow some of her views and it's because of her you know I believe some stuff of course I believe my own stuff but you know just feel her had a lot to do with it I'd say possibly family some of the conversations maybe like growing up between like my parents or you know my uncles or you know people from my family that either tell me like hey you if you ever run to the police you should you should or you shouldn't do certain things or be careful with the police because you know x might happen or z might happen so i think mainly family have shaped my views just like in conversations what are your thoughts about the police i i don't know i i feel like the police are just regular people just like just like you and i and Sometimes I feel that between just the power of social media and then news reporters and things like that, sometimes they're made to seem like they're the bad guys or like, you know, we shouldn't be trusting them. And when you think of the police, do you feel more safe or fearful of their presence? Unfortunately, I feel either or. I don't feel safe nor fear. Now I feel they're just there. So how do you feel about the answers we got? Honestly, I didn't expect that. Well, I did and I didn't. Um, honestly, from my family, they were shocking answers. How did you feel about the people in the neighborhood? Um, I I was not surprised with like with the answers I got from like the older generations. You know, like I was expecting that kind of short. Short to the to the point. Yes, we need cops. Like you know, no elaboration kind of thing. So, uh, I was expecting that because like, how many times you heard, you know, like a grandma or a grandpa like say that. You know what I mean? Say say something else, other than that. Yeah, you know, it's like you said. I guess expected. Even when you're having a normal conversation, you ask them a question and. They give you a straight answer, and if you ask them to elaborate, they're like, no. Those are my beliefs. <laughs> Next up, the movement for police reform is not new. But it has not worked out how many hoped. That is why police abolition has been a hot topic. We spoke with Tynetta, who forms part of the Defund CPD campaign. They are a part of the steering community, which helps train people in the community. Let's hear what they had to say regarding the collective narrative we hear about the Defund CPD campaign. How is Defund CPD represented by mainstream media? Um, I think that Defund CPD is represented in many ways. Um, the primary way is something that is going to throw us into this state of fear and confusion. Um, and the reality is that we already live in a state of fear and confusion, right? Um, we already live in a, a world where we have police, where we have structures to incarcerate and jail and punish people. And what have those systems solved, right? Um, so when I talk to people about defund the police, or the things that I hear often is, that doesn't make sense, that sounds scary, you need to change your language, I don't understand. Um, and I have to tell people that this is not radical. This is not new. Um, we existed before police 
ever existed, right? Um, the, and the entire system of policing ever existed. Um, and if we do a historical account of the creation of policing, we understand that it came out of policing primarily Black bodies, right? Black people um, all over the United States, and then eventually people of color all over the, the world, right? Um, through militarism, through imperialism, and white supremacy. So um, policing has always been around in a way to enforce the agenda of white supremacy. And defund CPD is literally a crumb of the things that we are asking. Um, and yeah, I think that when, when I hear people talk about it, um, I think my first response is, how could you not understand? And my second response is, I have to understand that people want to feel safe. Everyone wants to feel safe. They want to feel accounted for. They want to feel like there are people who are going to be for them because they may not have those people in their own life. And the value that I find in that is that I remind them that we keep each other safe, right? Our communities, the people in our lives, our friends, our family, if they are invested in, they are able to keep us safe, to help us, to give us the things that we need. And it is not just us in our local community, in our nuclear families, right? But also our, our government, our structures should be employed to first keep us safe, to give us wellness, to give us the things that we need. And then second, to help us when we don't have everything that we need, right? And, or when we stumble or we misstep into a transformative uh, process or a process of repair. Um, because we're not always going to get it right, right? We're not going to get rid of the police and the people are going to be perfect. And there's not going to be people who do things that harm other people. The idea, though, is that we come into community together and we rethink what the possibilities are. And the possibilities are beyond locking people up and putting them in cages for the things that they do. How does uh, the Defund CBD campaign control their own narrative? Um, by actively being in the community. Um, I think that you, your narrative is influenced by who you touch and how you touch them, right? Um, and so often we see police go into neighborhoods and their narrative is the narrative that they have. Um, one, because they have a propaganda machine, but two, um, <laughs> because they also are actively harming people in their in communities. Like, So our work is to repair harm, right? Our work is to create alternatives to harm. Our work is to show people that there are other spaces beyond the harm that has been enacted, one, via the state, and two, via police, right? As extensions of the state. Um, and that's how you control your narrative, right? Um, even in the day-to-day, -day, like when you meet someone, you are controlling your narrative by how you talk to them, how you relate to them, the love and, uh, and safety that you give to them. And that is what we do. We give that the narrative and understanding that even though this is scary, so often people are like, 
what the heck is defund CBD. We also show them that there is another way possible for people in our world, right? Um, and that is revolutionary. Our relationships are revolutionary. So, You just mentioned how, you know, even the way that you talk to someone goes into play and in how you control your own narrative. So how can language be an intentional tool to influence a narrative? Ooh, because the police love to tell you that people is violent. They love to say it's violent. It's violent. It's violence. Ugh. And then people go like, oh, the narrative is that we're all scared and hopeless and we need the police. And what I have to tell people is that, you know what's really violent? You know what's really violent? Um, not so aggressively, very nice, you know. But you know what's really violent? <laughs> What's really violent is that Rahm Emanuel closed like hella schools on the south and west side of Chicago, right? Displaced um, hundreds and thousands of black kids, black and brown kids from schools they were going to, put them in areas where they were very clear, delineated, like turfs and understandings people had inner workings, forced them into these spaces. They didn't have access to school. Some people had to tra travel very far, right, to get education. Some people just dropped out because you closed my school. So where am I supposed to go now? And then created an entire system of like violence out of creating these crosses where there didn't need to be those crosses. Instead of opening more schools, funneling more opportunities for education and resources, putting more um, opportunities for mental health and wellness. These things are close, that is violence, right? Like we have to understand that violence is not the person who, it's not only the person who gets up and commits harm against an individual, right? Violence is the active work of the state to disinvest from black people and from brown people, right? We should not live in food, and um, like people live in, food oasis is right there's food anytime you need it fresh food we should not live under food apartheid right there should not be healthcare disparities the way they are they exist within chicago the the life expectancy should not have a 20-year gap between the west side of chicago and downtown right you're expected to live 20 years less just because you live on the west side of chicago that's a problem that's violent, right? People should not have to travel miles to get food, to get resources, to get things that they need. People should not have to sleep outside when there's hundreds of abandoned, vacant, like lots and buildings all over the city. And people who do have houses, who do have shelter, they should not be actively displaced um, because of gentrification, right? And these monuments to gentrification i.e. the Obama Center, right? So what are we doing to counteract that violence? Because that is the that is the big violence that creates the individual interpersonal violence, right? What are we doing to counteract um, the things that create systemic issues in our communities um, that get keep people from being able to get the things that they need? Um, We wanted to know, uh, on the topic of combating narratives, 
how has the campaign worked to change the narrative of police reform versus police abolition? Yes, um, definitely a really great question. Um, by letting people know that police reform has always, 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 always been introduced. Like we've always had the conversation of reforming, revamping, putting putting cameras on, doing this, putting that, giving them this type of tech, use your taser first, this, that, and the other, all that stuff. It has not prevented black and brown people from being killed, from being jailed unnecessarily, from being stopped unnecessarily, from being harmed by systems of policing. No amount of reform has decreased um, the amount of violence that has been enacted by police going to people, um, nor has it prevented the amount of violence that happens interpersonally in our in our in our city in our country right so there has to be an alternative to that beyond reforming um and we're asking for abolition because how you get all this money you get all this money every year and this is the interpersonal violence is still happening what's happening all i know is if i was making 1.8 billion dollars um the whole city would be great. Everything would be pristine. <laughs> All the sidewalks would be nice. Everything would be accessible. Um, you could do everything you wanted to do. So, yeah, I think that is, there would be no homeless folks, <laughs> nothing. So um, I think that's the, that part of the, the conversation, right? A part of the conversation is um, what, what have the police done that has enacted change? through their reforms. Like you have re been reformed so many times. After a certain point, like we're realizing that this is a, ref a reformation from the same thing. It is, you are reforming the clay, it's still clay, right? The system is racist. The system is based off of um, catching slaves, right? The system is based off of um, hurting and harming people when they do things instead of doing process of transformation. We talked about how we've had those conversations, but we'd also like to know, you know, how does the campaign um, Defund CPD navigate those same generational differences when organizing around, you know, um, like police abolition? Um, you have to be a great conversationalist and you got to know your stuff. Um, I think the biggest thing that happens when I have these conversations and people are like, hell no, hell no. First, I understand when it's a hell no. Like if it's somebody's like, it's not, you're not convincing me. We not having a conversation. I go like, you know, this is my stance. This is it. I might have to like move into the next person and have that conversation. Some people are not changing their minds, however. Most people are, and um, no matter what the generation is, and you really just have to sit with them and have really good conversations um, and really lay it out for them. Like this is this is what it is. This is, and this is how it could be if we reimagine something else. Um, as of recording this, uh, I believe there's going to be a hearing about um, a shot spotter. Um, 
this technology in our in our communities uh can you tell us about um or can you talk to us about about this uh this campaign would you call it yeah definitely campaign love shot spotter that's the meeting i came from right before this <laughs> um so essentially shot spotter technology is audio surveillance um it's a very racist system because it is primarily in black and brown neighborhoods it's listening to you talk to your cat and your dog no it's not doing all that but it is listening for very loud sounds um, that potentially resemble gunshots but it can't differentiate the difference between a car backfiring um, construction work um, or anything like that from a gunshot right it contributed to um, police officers coming into little village um, and killing Adam Toledo earlier this year. Um, they got a notification that said, hey, there's gunshots going on in this area. And the issue with like audio surveillance um, and any surveillance is that one, it doesn't invest in communities to keep their community safe. And two, um, police come in and when they come in to communities, especially communities uh, where people of color live, they treat everyone like a suspect. Right. And so um, the issue that we have as a campaign is that we thought this contract was up. It was like contracts up. We're good. We're done. The campaign's over a few months ago. Um, and we came to find out um, within a few days of what was supposed to be the, the understanding that we had as a campaign, the, renew, the, the potential renewal date of the contract came to find out it was already renewed. And CBD renewed it without even telling city council. City council did not know it was renewed. Um, and now the fight is to cancel this contract and invest this um, $33 million into violence um, intervention and prevention programs. Um, we are about to have in Chicago, one of the largest UBI programs in the country um, where 5,000 families will have the opportunity to get $500 a month for a year. And $500 a month is very impactful for so many folks, especially people who are like struggling. Um, and that program, I think is $31.5 million. And I just can't, I can't imagine if we had the, the privilege of being able to cancel this contract, right, of $33 million and invest it so another 5,000 families could get $500 a month for a year. That's 10,000 families, right? Um, that would be amazing. So that's pretty much what the Shot Spotter campaign is. Um, and uh, we're doing some really great work, moving some really great things, um, and trying to galvanize the people towards it. What would you say is your favorite or most memorable aspect of working with Defund CBD? Oh, this is so cute. What a cute question. Um, it's so cute that this is all audio so people can't see all the facial expressions I'm doing. Um, I'm where we are cracking up. But favorite moment in the campaign, um, I think was at the Juneteenth barbecue situation we had, you know, teaching workshops. Um, I 
was a part of that and um, it really just pushed me to deepen my understanding to defund the police, create my own narrative around it, um, train other people. And um, I got to eat some great food. And it was on Juneteenth. What? Look at all the just correlations there. So um, I think that was my, I think that's my favorite memory. This segment was a part of the Neighborhood Reporting Summer 2021 series, a collaboration between City Bureau and Yolokale Arts Reach in Chicago. Produced by Cynthia Salgado, August Abitang, Grace Del Vecchio, and Malika Lean. Edited by August Abitang. This podcast is dedicated to Malika Lean. Long live Malik.